0: This is Worthlessly Worthwhile. You took four minutes of my life and I want them back. Oh, I'll only waste them anyway. Now your hosts, Art and Rich.
1: Now we are back. It is May 7th, back with another episode of Worthlessly Worthwhile. I am Rich Brown, joined by Art Aronson, as always, Tonight broadcasting from beautiful British Columbia, just a, a great night out there, Art. That's um, gorgeous. And we are unfortunately a bit late to the party, but nonetheless we are going to break down episodes five and six of The Last Dance and much, much more though. We've got lots to talk about tonight. Uh, we're now halfway past uh, or past the halfway mark for the documentary series, episode five. One of the
2: best really. Art, what were your uh, original thoughts? Yeah, I think episode 5 clearly for me is the best episode so far. Just everything you had in there from Barcelona to the stuff about Jordan's uh endorsements with the shoes, the birth of Air Jordan. Uh it just and then you also had like the background All-Star game and you had the moment with Kobe Bryant. It was just it was it was everything in one episode. I it's to me I think it's the top one. I know I was expecting a bit more
1: uh, Kobe content, especially when it started out. First of all, we had heard we we get the podcast or the documentary a little bit late in Canada. We get it on Mondays instead of Sundays. So you, you see on the Twitter machine what everyone's talking about. And I was seeing a lot about Kobe. So uh, already I knew that Kobe was going to be somewhat of a central figure or at least a figure. And then it, it starts out with, uh, you know, in memory of Kobe Bryant. And so and then it started with the Kobe stuff as well. Right. So I was really expecting uh, more Kobe. But it was nice to get that that little bit of Kobe in there. But it was a little bit emotional to watch it.
2: Yeah, to like see him talk. And it's Magic Johnson had a quote right before the the episode came out. He had seen it before the rest of us. But he was just like. Like a lot of the NHL fan, the sorry, the NBA family has not moved on from Kobe yet. It's still so fresh. So to see him come on the screen and even right from the beginning, and loving memory of Kobe Bryant, it's just it was it was emotional. And uh, to young Kobe too, like it's I love that one dunk they showed of him where it was like it was in the All Star game, but it was it was one it was an alley oop and he got so high and I was just like man. Yeah, it was it was really it was like a two handed tomahawk, and I, I just yeah it it was emotional it was emotional and to hear him talk about how what Michael meant to him and how how it wasn't a Michael who's better Michael or Kobe. it was never like that for him it was uh I'm here because Michael Jordan came before me and I and and there was a big brother little brother relationship there which. Everybody saw with Michael Jordan at, you know, at the ceremony for Kobe get really emotional. And I just I think it just tied those two stories together because Kobe felt the same way on the other side of Michael in their relationship. And, uh, you know, I saw an
1: interview with Jason Hare, I think is how you pronounce it, the the maker of this documentary series or the director. And he was mentioning that uh, one of the Kobe interviews that he did wrapped up about a week before the helicopter accident so it's crazy to think about and it's it's hard to watch it because Kobe is such an eloquent speaker he he really has a way like he just has an aura about him when he talks right like he draws you in he kind of sucks you in it's really really riveting to listen to him talk he's got a good voice he he explains things well um, and it just got me thinking about how we learned recently that there were camera crews that followed the Lakers or followed Kobe for his final season, and how great a documentary could have been with him involved in the making of that documentary. And I, I don't doubt that something will happen with that footage at some point, but it, it will never be the same. And it's really disappointing because Kobe really is such an interesting figure. He had such an interesting career, but he he's also a much better speaker than Michael. Um, I think it probably was very difficult to get this much that we've seen out of Michael for this series uh, but Kobe would have been a completely different story.
2: Yeah, I, I think so as well. Uh, we're gonna get a Kobe Bryant' story told through everybody else whereas this is a Michael story kind of told through his eyes so maybe the Kobe story will just it'll be as good but different right in, in in hearing other people's perspectives but you're right though of course Co- Kobe Bryant's just he's a great orator he like he just every interview he comes off as magnetic right something that you know michael doesn't quite have in his store in his in his interviews michael was electric on the court and uh in a different way but i uh, you're right Uh, it's unfortunate we don't get to see that but uh it was emotional to see kobe and i think we're probably going to get a few more kobe moments in this in this talk at least i hope so because really we only got really like one quote from him in that. Were you disappointed that we didn't get to see more in that episode with Kobe?
1: Yeah, for sure. I I thought there was more coming and then it was kind of when I realized there's like five minutes left in this episode and they've moved way past that point that, Oh, maybe that was it. Like it it didn't even dawn on me until the episode was almost over that that might be all we got. Uh, But you did mention the, the behind the scenes at the all-star game, which, you know, is very early in the episode, but I just, I find that stuff so interesting because You know, people can write about professional athletes and we can watch the games on TV and see the media interviews, but you don't get that real behind-the-scenes look. And just getting to watch those guys interact with each other, like MJ joking around with Larry Bird, who was coaching that game for the Mm -hmm. East, and like, how many minutes are you going to give me, Larry? And then Magic Johnson comes in, and I don't
2: know. It's just so interesting to watch those guys interact with each other. And as we're seeing... In this documentary, the NBA was just there was a there was a different level at the professional level, like a like a different level of competition. And when it was Eastern versus Western Western, it was like you're there. You see these guys, these all stars who are playing with each other in the all star game. But man, they are like they they're at each other's throats the rest of the season. So to see them in that atmosphere. And to see him joking around about that young kid Kobe, right? Like Mike has that great quote, he's like, That kid doesn't let the game come to him. He's taking everybody one on one. I, I love that. I loved it. I loved it.
1: Yeah, and then he's joking about how, you know, if he misses six his first six shots of the game or whatever, then he's not gonna pass him the ball. If he wants the ball, he's gonna have to rebound.
2: <laughs> well, that was the joke because I think as a rookie, his one of his very maybe it was his first game. Kobe as a rookie. I think he missed his first five, six shots. And it was like, it was talked about for a very long time. So I think that's kind of, maybe that's what they were referencing there. Uh, the behind the scenes stuff there.
1: Something else I found really interesting in that episode was um, when, when MJ thought it was his final game at Madison square garden, he didn't think he was going to come back to play. Um, he said Madison square garden was the Mecca of basketball is his favorite place to play. And We don't always see like an emotional or even a human side of Michael Jordan. And the fact that he went back and got a pair of Jordan 1s, which he said was the first shoe he wore at Madison Square Garden, and he busted them out in 1998 to wear in what he thought could be his final time at MSG. And he had, you know, he talked about he had like a huge game and his feet were bleeding, he was saying, uh, because the shoes were so old. But it is just a reminder that these guys are sentimental, too. And even the great Michael Jordan
2: was sentimental in that moment. Yeah, and it really underscores why this documentary was made because and why they had a camera crew behind the scenes because Jerry Krause and Jerry Ransdorf and Michael and Scotty and... Phil Jackson, like, this was the parting of what, like, snuck, like, they were, nobody was budging, like, so it really seemed like this was going to be the last season, so to get a camera crew back there is just fantastic, and we're just, we're reaping the benefits right now of it. Uh, Another thing I thought was just fascinating, though, in that fifth episode, was going back to see the endorsements and how Nike got Air Jordan, how Air Jordan became what it was, that Nike was able to snag Michael Jordan over the other shoe companies. Do you find that interesting, Rich? Oh, for sure. I think uh, something that I've noticed throughout the entire series
1: now is because it because the Bulls were such a central figure and Michael Jordan was such a central figure, and it spanned you know a pretty long time, basically from the mid '80s into the late '90s. It this series has kind of intersected with many other sports documentaries i've seen a lot of them 30 for 30s but not all um so the the soul man 30 for 30 is about sonny beccaro who was the the guy working at nike who you know he's the guy who said we've got to go get this michael jordan guy and now we got to see it from michael's side of the story where he didn't want to go to nike he wanted to go to adidas he didn't even want to take the meeting but it was his mom, of course, who forced him to go take the meeting and his parents were like, you got to be crazy not to take it. And then when you uh, compare it to that Soul Man documentary, that decision and and their courting of Michael is really what made Nike become Nike. So it, it really is a fascinating story. But, you know, in previous episodes, we've got the Bad Boys documentary that we've talked about a few times um, and how that rivalry between the Bulls and Pistons existed Um, and then, so yeah, you've got the soul man, uh, you know, like even the Reggie Miller versus the New York Knicks, you know, when MJ took his break, like that opened the door for other teams in the East. I don't, there's just a lot of, uh, interesting documentaries. And then the one other one that comes to mind with this last episode is the dream team documentary. Um, which was, I think an NBA TV production or something like that. It wasn't a 30 for 30, but it, it did talk a lot about that exhibition game, you know, MJ's team versus magic johnson's team and they they found in this series a way to kind of give you a little bit more even though they only focused on it for like five minutes and there was a whole documentary on the dream team but you know it had the tony ku coach story and everything so it has really intersected with other documentaries we've seen yeah
2: it's a really good point that's that's just because the bulls are such a central figure how jordan is just michael jordan right and I love and there's one quote that wasn't in the last dance, which I wish they had gotten, and maybe it was because Christian Leitner didn't want to be part of a Michael Jordan documentary. But Christian Leitner had a quote in that in the documentary that you're referencing, which was an ESPN documentary on the Dream Team. And his quote was, Man, when I came in there and I watched those guys practice against each other. I was like, Oh man, it is odd. Like, this is, this is, this is the toughest basketball I've ever played, you know? And like guys are like putting each other down, you know, like going up to go down, David Robinson playing hard, Charles Barkley playing hard magic going against Michael. Like it was, he, he was, he was in awe. And his quote in that documentary was so good about, uh, cause he's, he was the rookie, right? He was the call coming in to be as a part of that dream team. And, uh, I thought that was really neat, and of course, yeah, that I love that stuff. Magic, and that was another thing. Like Magic's coming off, and he always does. He, he comes off as just such a magnetic character. Like what, a, like what a star, what an alpha dog. So it, it it takes a guy like Michael Jordan to knock him off his perch. is It's pretty incredible stuff. And if it was
1: anyone but Magic, you know, maybe that <laughs> that fierce practice could have actually broken the Dream Team, and they touched on it in the in the episode there where you know there was tense silence on the bus and no one was saying anything and then of course leave it up to magic to pipe in and says you know oh you had to go get him going or whatever you know and then they all (laughs) laugh and then all they're all best friends all of a sudden you know it it really does it took magic's personality to even to break michael's kind of firmness right because he's such a stiff guy and i don't I don't know that other people could get that out of him, but Magic just has this way. Like, Magic is clearly, like you say, he's a star, he's energetic, he he just has this, like, quality about him that's so interesting to watch, and, and their relationship uh, was clearly something special as well.
2: And, you know, they had the picture of, like, the big three. Larry Bird, who was at the end of his career because of injuries, were cutting his career short, but they had that great picture photo shoot of Magic, Larry, and Michael, and, You know magic just cracking jokes in the background saying you can't get too close to michael it's a foul like and and michael like not like not taking it in stride really his response to it is like annoyance because of his like you know because of his competitiveness it's just so good and magic and larry just cracking up it's just it's great footage it's really really good
1: i think something that uh these episodes did a great job of showcasing is what life as michael jordan was like and you know it can be easy to think oh he's got all the money in the world and all these titles life must be so easy but it did a good job of showing the difficulties of being a mega star like michael jordan um even you know there's that scene at the end of episode five where all the celebrities are out to see michael jordan you know they all got to see air jordan and Jerry Seinfeld's in the locker room telling them this play is not (laughs) going to work. But you've even got Wayne Gretzky is there, you know, the greatest, easily the greatest hockey player of all time. Like it's not even, there's nobody that's debating anything to do with that. And he's in awe of Michael Jordan. And Jerry Rice, who's easily the greatest wide receiver and many think the greatest football player of all time. And he's saying, I want to be like Mike. Like this is how big Michael Jordan was. And they did a great job of fitting that in and then the following episode in episode six you get the idea of how difficult it was to be in that spotlight and I think one thing that stood out to me is how just like broken down he was from all that and the gambling controversy or whatever if he was out at the casino um, like who cares right but that's just the way our society is in with the media like they they nitpick at every little thing with the greatest or the the most famous people um, but you could see how broken down he was. And it made me really wonder, like, in the past, I've wondered, what if Michael Jordan didn't go play basketball? Could they have won eight titles in a row? Like, could that have happened? Watching that episode made me think, actually, maybe they wouldn't have even won a fourth or a fifth title. Maybe they would have won them at some point down the line or a fourth or something like that. But I think if he had just kept playing, he was so broken down. He, I don't think he would have been able to keep going at the pace he went and taking that break away from basketball allowed him to recharge the batteries and then come back and win that second three-peat.
2: yeah and i'll talk about the the doc in the sixth episode in a second but i think we know from the benefit of hindsight like when his father died and we're gonna get some stuff about his father coming up in the next episodes for sure but that that was like the the tip of the eye that was that was like the iceberg right Mm -hmm. and that was when the ship's going down at that point because he you could see how exhausted he was leading to that off season and then when his when his father died under suspicious circumstances uh and that's going to make for a great part of the doc uh you could tell that he needed a break and and you're right i kind of agree with you i think maybe he could have won one one more like maybe they get that 94 95 win and it's not a houston rockets win he probably doesn't sweep through because of you know like you said he looks like he was at the at the end of the rope but he's michael jordan and who who's to say the greatest you know competitor of all time couldn't have you know turned it on you know after a load management season maybe and won won it all in the in the playoffs but yeah i don't think he would have swept through but it is interesting to think what if because clearly they were the best team he was the best player a lot of people speculate that maybe they would have swept the 90s if Michael hadn't taken that time off but I think this doc and knowing what we know about what happened with his father that that probably wasn't likely because of outside factors not necessarily what was happening on the basketball court
1: and and yeah you make a really good point about his father dying and that obviously played a big part but you could see the effect. The toll, the way the media treated him, and and obviously when the media treats you that way, it has an effect on how the public can treat you as well, or how you you perceive the public is treating you. Even though most of the public is probably still worshiping him, people are still calling into radio shows and going like, ah, he shouldn't be going to to Atlantic city. This guy's not committed or this is the most committed athlete we've probably ever seen in our generation. And people are questioning him. Like some guy who's sitting on his couch and works (laughs) at the dollar store or whatever is calling to be like, ah, this guy's not really committed (laughs) as he's going for his third title in a row. And he's the greatest player in the world. It's absolutely ridiculous, but it, it makes you almost frustrated because, you know, he did walk away and maybe he would have walked away anyways his father dying might have been just too much even without the media pressure and the scrutiny and all that he might have walked away but it makes you wonder like does that sort of unfair treatment or or you could call it unfair i i call it unfair maybe others would Scru- argue against scrutiny, it, but scrutiny. Yeah. Scru- yeah. did that cost us more michael jordan as a basketball player, like more Michael Jordan dominance. Did that cost the public the chance to watch that? Because it really is a treat. And you're seeing it with this with this documentary. Like, it was such a time to be a sports fan, to be a basketball fan, to watch it unfold. Like, you're lucky to witness that kind of history. And, uh, you know, if you look at where we are right now, I'd say... Tennis is probably the best sport to compare it to. Like we're living in an era where the greatest Roger Federer and then the second greatest Rafa Nadal and then the third greatest perhaps Novak Djokovic are all playing against each other. And it's it's such a treat for us just to be able to tune into whichever tournament and watch these guys play. And 20 years down the line, we're going to remember, yeah, I remember watching these guys. But did all that scrutiny cost people the chance to enjoy
2: more Michael Jordan? It's a great question. Uh, we have the benefit of hindsight and we don't know what it's like in the moment like Michael knew, like all those fans were watching it, all those critics. Um, yeah, it's a it's a great question and we don't have an answer for it. Uh, but I don't know about you, going back to the doc in, season, in episode six, which wasn't my favorite episode to watch, but I think that made it a good episode because I don't know about you, but I felt exhausted at the end of the episode. Just... Like watching what it was like going through the motions, walking in Michael's shoes. Like he had to be on. Like they said, every, like the the opening of episode six is just—it's a masterclass in filmmaking. The way the way they put it together and uh, how it like they had the kind of quiet moment with Michael in his hotel room, and then as soon as he leaves that hotel room, it's like he's in a movie, you know? And he just and then he has to go and perform, and it's just. Yeah. So, and I get it. And that's, that comes with being the greatest player, the, the biggest, the biggest athlete in the world, one of the biggest stars in the world period. So, uh, and that's one of the obstacles for being so great for so long. And that's why you got to give any player that can have sustained, any athlete that can have sustained dominance for such a long time, because all this back noise that goes on during their run, right? It's, 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 It's another part of it. And unfortunately, Michael couldn't make it through the 90s without having a break. That scene you
1: mentioned, they did such a great job. Like, you really felt it. I think you kind of said it there. But I felt it when he's in the hotel room and it's calm. Everything is calm. He's relaxed. He's able to kick back. But really, I mean, you think about it, he's kind of trapped because... the way they had it where, okay, he's got to leave the hotel elevator doors open, boom. And it's just this throng of people like massive crowd and everyone is screaming and sticking their hand out. And like, that's what it is anywhere. And it, it clicked to me, and I've I've had this thought before, like I understand the realization of being that big of a celebrity, but it really did click to me, like the freedoms we enjoy, well, not right now because of COVID, but the freedoms we usually enjoy to just be like, you know, I'm going to take a stroll down the street uh, to the pub and grab a pint, or, you know, I'm going to walk over to the corner store and grab a snack, or whatever it is, you don't enjoy that freedom when you're the the big celebrity like that. And it's crazy to think that you people think you have it all, but you don't even have the most basics of freedom, basic of freedoms that everyone else has.
2: Yeah. And you see it in other, you see it in other walks of life, like other celebrities, they go crazy. Like Britney Spears, she was maybe the most famous person in the world there and she just went nuts. Like she had a breakdown. And, uh, there's, there's many instances of many celebrities, Charlie, Charlie Sheen's another guy that just went nuts. And, uh, you understand a little bit more when you, you know, peel back the, the covers, you know, get a look inside. So that's what the doc's given us here with Michael. And we're just, we're just lucky
1: to be able to watch it. It's a great point, Art. Right, that's what you get when you listen to worthlessly worthwhile. You get Michael Jordan to Britney Spears comparisons. Plenty more where that came from, right? <laughs> I got all kinds of analogies for you, Rich. Yeah, the one thing that this uh, series has me thinking too, as we get to relive the greatness, and I'll be, I'll be honest, I wasn't. You know, we were young. I know you watched the tapes of the Bulls back then. Um, you know, I watched highlights and whatnot, but I wasn't a huge basketball fan. Being like you know, for this season would have been like 10 years old, 11 years old when it ended. Um, I, I, of course, was aware of Michael Jordan and what was going on. I watched Sports Desk on TSN back then and probably the occasional game. But I, it's not like I enjoyed watching his entire career, obviously. But it did get me thinking about the, the athlete that I wish that I got to watch their career. And we hear about the history of sports. And, um, you know, I could say Michael Jordan, but I was alive for part of his career. I did watch it. So for basketball, I really think when you hear about all the stories that goes on with the NBA and like the history of the game and just the, the best stories always seem to revolve around Larry Bird, Larry Legend, like the, the dirty trash talker. One game he tells a guy or tells his team, you know, I'm going to I'm going to play left handed and I'm going to put up 40 or whatever it was. And he just does it like <laughs> that's just fascinating. I wish I got to enjoy watching that. Uh, how about for you, Arden? Are there any names that jump off the page
2: as athletes that you wish you got to watch their career? Yeah, it's a really one. I think Andre Agassi. I feel like he he was that magnetic character as well that got you know criticism as well as uh, a portion of the population saying he's the greatest, and then you know oh, but he but he looks this way, he dresses this way, but no, he's a magnetic on the court, magnetic on the court. I think it'd be cool to been able to watch his career from start to finish. Uh, Magic, I think, and we're seeing a lot of Magic Johnson here, and he's a magnetic figure, but I just think him versus Larry Bird, and I know there's the documentary there, the Lakers versus the Celtics, mm-hmm. their their rivalry. I think being alive and being, you know, maybe our age, to be able to, like, soak in everything uh, and watch that Lakers-Celtics rivalry, I'm that might be what I would take over everything because, like, like – the NBA just rose to another level with stardom with Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. And then you got Michael coming in underneath and it's just, yeah, I, I think, I think uh, those, yeah. And Andre Agassi, really? Cause I think he kind of came up during that time as well. So I would, I would take like then the, the, uh, the late eighties, the mid to late eighties to, to mid nineties, I think is what I'd like.
1: Agassi, Agassi for sure is a good one. I think though, if I was, taking a tennis player I might go with John McEnroe just because I, I mm. want to see someone go ballistic on a on a chair umpire a little bit more <laughs> um I guess see you and I have both read his his uh autobiography which I think also gives us a little bit of perspective on what was going on inside his head and uh again kind of the unfair treatment that he, maybe he received um but he also didn't or- how he ended up as a tennis player, for those that don't know, like, he, he didn't love tennis. His father kind of forced him into being a tennis player, and it got to the point where he didn't even want to be a tennis player, but he was he had dropped out of school to train for tennis, basically. Like, he didn't have any other skills. He couldn't do any other work, so he had to be a tennis player. And he learned to love the game, and he learned to to get over the, the image is everything uh, one, so... That, w- that would have been a good one, but uh, Johnny Mack would have been interesting. And then one other name that really comes to mind is Muhammad Ali. I think uh, you know he's yeah. he's one of the greatest athletes of all time and it, it would have been really interesting to have watched his career unfold and especially with the controversy, him being stripped of the title and everything like that was just such a huge storyline at the time and it must have been something to watch it unfold.
2: Yeah, that's a great one. Muhammad Ali, thanks for bringing that up. Like uh, before Michael, you know, he was the biggest star and the way he like fell on his sword, like it's, it was, it was really amazing. And that, and, and that's, a, that's, that was another part of the Jordan doc. I know we're kind of moving on from the Jordan doc a little bit, but to see some of that political stuff where Michael didn't want to be involved with uh, you know, championing, championing one side of the cause over the other. Which I, I think he's gotten a lot of grief for. Um, that that part is interesting to me. Did you did you think less of Michael after after hearing those comments about the shoes, the the famous quote "Republicans buy shoes too," and how Michael didn't want to uh, endorse the senator in his in that riding and everything like that? So, did you find that? So
1: here's the thing like again I, I heard this interview with Jason here the guy who made the the doc series and he talked about how he was able to get Michael Jordan to do this series and his biggest hesitation was you know everyone everyone's going to see this stuff and they're going to think I'm a total dick or whatever and um, he, he didn't want to go down that road but uh, he promised MJ that this would be a fair documentary and that it would tell the story in a fair way, and he would get the chance to put things in perspective. And I think it's done a really good job of that. And um, no, I didn't think less of him. I think more of him, if anything. A couple things he said that really stood out to me. One, the comment about the the Republicans buy shoes too. Like he, he mentioned, okay, I, you know, I was just joking around off-the-cuff remark with some friends. Everybody says things like that. Everybody. So if, if you judge someone for a comment like that you got to look at yourself because I guarantee you that every single person makes little jokey comments like that off the cuff that they don't really mean or believe and it doesn't represent them as a person it's just kind of like a, a sarcastic joke it's not his real outlook on the situation so that's one side of it but the second side of it is yeah I've always I've always really respected LeBron James for getting involved in social causes and uh standing up for what he believes in and using his his fame for that. Um, but Michael Jordan is entitled to be who he is. And he, he put it in just a perfect perspective of, I never considered myself to be political. I'm just a basketball player. And so you can't expect someone to stand up for something. If it's not something that they're even in in their mind thinking about, or if he's so solely focused on basketball, which I think is his point is that of course he, 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 doesn't agree with, uh, I can't remember who the the guy was um, in yeah, North Carolina. The yeah, the guy with the glasses. Yeah, the guy with the glasses, yeah, that jerk <laughs> bag. You know, obviously, I don't think Michael Jordan <laughs> agreed with his politics, and if he was going to support anyone, he would have supported Harvey Gantt. I get it, but if he's not a political person, and there's a lot of people out there that are just not really following politics that much. I mean, it's impossible to get away from it right now with social media and what's going on. Uh, especially south of our border. But, you know, at that time, if you are if you weren't a political person, I don't think it's his responsibility to stand up and do something. It's not like he came out in support of the other guy. You know, he just didn't do anything. and And he even said it like, I don't know anything about this guy's platform. So how can he be expected to stand up and endorse someone that he doesn't know he's not a political guy it's like endorsing a product that you don't know anything about um you know I I get it I get his point that he's he's just a basketball player he he's not interested in politics at that point in his life so no I don't hold that against him at all
2: well and you're making great points and there's nothing wrong with that but when you are at a certain level of stardom, like Michael Jordan, you have a platform, and a lot of people consider it a responsibility to be to to have a side to to champion, you know, what they perceive is right on one side or the other, right? Um, and that's why Muhammad Ali will always be remembered forever and that's that quote was very unfair in the doc where the guy was like people forget about michael jordan yeah, i don't ball. think that's happening <laughs> <laughs> yeah but but it's true that and I, and like you said you, re, you really respect lebron james and muhammad ali but that's where i think a lot of people will gain a second respect from from an athlete or a celebrity that has so much to lose but is willing to go out and say what he believes no matter what. Like, and that's what I always say about LeBron James. Like he could easily just say Republicans buy shoes too, you know, and be like, or Democrats buy shoes too. And he could, he could not take a side and just keep raking in the money instead. He'll, he'll go out and say what he believes in. But maybe Michael, like you said, doesn't believe in one thing or the other. That's just not his thing. So yeah, I, I get it from Michael's side as well, but I also respect the 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 celebrity or the athlete that is willing to give that up to to be to be something else, you know, something, you know, more important than dribbling a basketball, right? Yeah, exactly. I
1: I would have preferred if he used his celebrity to promote social change and and stand up for causes that needed someone in that position to stand up for them. But at the same time, I don't think you can hold it against him for not doing it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I get what you mean about it being a responsibility. It's It's, it's a really touchy topic, right? Like people mm-hmm. who are marginalized in society are hoping that someone who has come from that background and has risen to the level of fame he has is going to stand up for them. And I would I would hope the same thing. But I also think it's his decision what he wants to do with his life and with his fame. And it's just a tough, tough topic. And so my main point is just that I don't think less of him based yeah. on what I saw in the doc. If anything, it gave it a little bit of perspective of where he was coming from. And to me, it's just, okay, he chose not to do that do I do I look at other celebrities like a Muhammad Ali and have a much greater respect for what they did? Like Muhammad Ali especially, I don't LeBron James has given up maybe some sales. I don't know. Like he's still one of the richest athletes in the world. But Muhammad Ali gave up his titles standing up for what he believed in. He almost lost his entire career. So He was a trailblazer. He was a trailblazer, exactly. And uh Kareem back then was involved with uh, Muhammad Ali and so many others. You know, I have a much deeper respect for what they did
2: uh, back then. And, and and I think, and just not to belabor this point, but, uh, and I think this is why people will hold it against Michael, and it's why Barack President Obama even said he was disappointed, right, in this doc. Just that it, a lot of people consider if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem, right? And I think that's why people... Uh, have an opinion about Michael in that sense. So, but again, that's part about, that's part of what's being hard about being Michael Jordan. I mean, I, I love that the, uh, the Gatorade commercial, I want to be like Mike, like it's just, it's a great song. It just encapsulates everything it is about being, you know, Michael Jordan at that stardom. But with that comes the dark side, which we, we saw there in the episode six, which I felt tired at the end of that episode. <laughs> Yeah,
1: I almost need the week uh, the week off to get get ready for episodes seven and eight. So far, though, let's just put our thoughts down on where are we at here through six episodes. Like, is this is this living up to the hype? Is it does it fit the bill? Or there's obviously a lot of talk that uh, the I know we've already touched on this, but the timeline jumping is so ruining this documentary. Uh, one comment: Can we not go four minutes without jumping back in time? I think they're doing a fantastic job of doing the timeline jumping by the way like the way they seamless the seamlessness of it like it goes into him wearing the Jordan ones in 1998 at Madison Square Garden because it, it might be the last time and he says it's the first time he played at Madison Square Garden he wore those shoes and then boom it jumps back to that year when he signed the Nike deal I, I thought it is so well done but what are uh, your overall was... thoughts so far?
2: Yeah, I don't have any problem with the timeline because and and that that quote you just picked up there If you saw that somewhere is stupid because we are going in time anyway back to the 1997-98 season So, oh, oh, we're jumping back more in time, but you're upset about time No, so I I have no problem with the way they're jumping through time Uh, And you know what? This is made for people like you and me who kind of who know the story We know the main points of this story. We're just getting more context of this story so maybe that's that's something that uh, is going into the criticism of it, but I I love it I I think that it's going along the right lines that I'm hoping for and It's giving us all the context leading into this final season. I mean they could just show us every single game of 1998 That'd be boring. No, they're telling us a full Chicago Bulls a full Michael Jordan story um, through the eyes of Michael, too, which is kind of neat, although I don't know if you saw, Rich, and I'm going to bring this up now, but Ken Burns, the very famous documentary maker uh, in the United States who uh, he has made, you know, a lot of great documentaries. I think he's a little overrated myself, but uh, he criticized this documentary saying that it wasn't real journalism. I don't know if you heard that quote. I did hear that. Um, okay. The way I look at this, is this
1: documentary real deep journalism? Like, is it telling a... What is the definition of journalism, right? I think it's really just telling a story. So to me, it is journalism because we're getting a real deep dive, as you just mentioned, into a story that's very interesting. But if you want to put it as journalism is like telling an important story or something, then okay, fine, you can say it's not journalism. But uh, is there anything wrong with just enjoying a story? Like, is there anything wrong with just telling an interesting story that people want to hear? I, I don't know a lot about Ken Burns. I know what I know what he's made and, and whatnot. If he's got a problem with it, fine. He's entitled to that opinion. But uh, maybe he's just jealous that someone else got the rights to tell a Michael Jordan story and got Michael Jordan to sit down and be interviewed for it. I don't know, because what could your problem possibly be with this documentary? If you don't like it, turn it off.
2: Yeah, he has... Uh, he also was also it came out to light that uh, he hadn't even seen any of it yet. He just immediately thinks that uh, if the documentary is about a certain person, they're not allowed to be part of the making process, the the production of, uh, of said documentary. So that's where he's coming at it, which is kind of an old grumpy sense. But again, like you said, we're telling a story, it's entertainment. You know, like, nobody died you know except i guess john stockton and carl malone's chances and charles barclay's chances of winning a championship that was really the only thing that really died during this story you know i i and i i like you said it is entertainment and it's and it's about a story that we're all fascinated with so it doesn't have to be any harder hitting than that so i agree with you
1: yeah um i i don't know the the whole i didn't realize he has not seen any of the documentary so really this is the equivalent of like when you scroll through twitter and you read a headline and you make like this huge you know the people that they they post underneath it and they're outraged about something but if they would just read the story they would realize what they're outraged about is already explained in the story that it's not true or whatever like i see that all the time people People get outraged by headlines. It's the short attention span of society right now. I didn't expect Ken Burns to be a headline outrage person, but I guess he is. <laughs> yeah,
2: and he's missing out, man. Like, we got a few more episodes. here, four more episodes, and, man, they could go 20 episodes, right? And we'd be happy about it.
1: Well, we got nothing better to do. Let's just make it, like, uh, 365 <laughs> episodes, an episode a day for the next year. It's the next Friends Yes, yes. <laughs> Michael Jordan will be asking for $10 million an episode by the end of this. And Moving on, though, um, there is NFL news today. The schedule came out. So uh, the season starts, of course, with the uh, champion, Kansas City Chiefs, oh, hosting geez. the Houston Texans. I, what is it about the Houston Texans that they always seem to get the chance to visit the champions on opening night? Didn't you go see uh, yeah. the Patriots host the Texans after they won their Super Bowl a few years ago?
2: Yeah, that's yeah, that's two of the last three years the Houston Texans have had to go into the home of the defending champions and play them. Now, poor, poor Houston. Uh, and they don't have DeAndre Hopkins to do it this time either.
1: It gives uh, Bill O'Brien another chance to embarrass himself on a national stage, I
2: guess. <laughs> Man, I don't know what to say about Houston. Like... I think Deshaun Watson is so good that they're going to have a chance to win every game and be maybe in a playoff spot because he's going to win games by himself. Honestly, I think he's that good.
1: He is. I think he's one of the best for sure. Um, He needs a lot more help around him, but he is such a great quarterback and it makes you wonder sometimes when you have a player that good and you fail to put good players around him is, is he going to stick around for the long haul in Houston or is he going to ride out this
2: contract and find
1: somewhere else to play
2: yeah uh well who knows bill o'brien's probably out of here but before that before that happens if any if anybody there in houston is uh, has any sort of head on their shoulders that's running this team we'll make sure bill o'brien's out before deshaun watson leaves so there's there's an I, easy I hope way for everybody in houston
1: There's an easy way out of Houston if you're a star player. You just gotta go in to Bill O'Brien's office and tell him you want to renegotiate your contract and he'll trade you for like a fourth round draft pick and an old running back.
2: (laughs) Old running back. David Johnson. I maybe maybe Bill O'Brien sees something in David Johnson that none of us do. Look,
1: if (laughs) David Johnson has like some renaissance in Houston, I will gladly come on this podcast and eat my words. And admit I was wrong and grovel down to Bill O'Brien, the great Bill O'Brien, master trader. But I just don't see that ever happening, and I'm not worried
2: that I'm going to have to do that anytime soon. All right, so week one of the NFL schedule, I, I got the matchups. Week one. Uh, who knows if there's going to be any fans in the stands for week one? I have I have a feeling that the NFL is going to go no matter what. They've been running their off season like there's been no pandemic. They're just, you know, straightforward. We're doing the draft, we're, we're, we're gonna do everything all the way up into kickoff. So I gotta ask you, Rich, of the week one matchups, which ones are you most interested in? I'm gonna give them to you right now. So we got, like you said, Houston, Kansas City. We got, the, I'll give you the interesting ones. Seattle at, at Atlanta. We got Vegas. Vegas. Vegas baby. Carolina. Vegas baby, Vegas. Uh, Other ones, very interesting. This might be my most interesting. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the New Orleans Saints. Uh, You also got the uh, Dallas Cowboys at the Chargers, I think, for Sunday night football. Your San Francisco 49ers going against Arizona. Those are and also the Green Bay Packers at the Minnesota Vikings and Cleveland at Baltimore. That's that can be interesting as
1: well. What do you think? I am I am looking forward to the 49ers taking on Arizona in that week one game. But I think, of course, I'm a 49ers fan, so that's a big reason. But I'm interested to see what Arizona brings this year. The NFC West is a very tough division. And I think the Cardinals are a much improved team. Uh, they were young. They took a lot of steps forward last year. And I think they're just going to improve again this year. They had a good draft. They obviously went out and got DeAndre Hopkins. So, yeah, I'm a little bit worried about them and I'm interested to see. But obviously, the matchup of week one is easily uh, the Bucks and the Saints. You get Tom Brady versus Drew Brees in week one of the NFL season. So that's the big one. Uh, the other one that I'm surprised you left off the list, but I find very interesting for week one is the Patriots and the Dolphins. Because... Who is going to be starting a quarterback for the Dolphins in week one? Is it going to be Tua? Um, And again, the Dolphins are a team on the rise. Like they, A bit weird last year how they were tanking at first. And then I don't know what happened, but they started to like this team started gelling under Brian Flores. And they played pretty well in the end of the season. Um, And I think, again, that's a young team that had a good draft and, They could be a really interesting team. And then you wonder, what do the Patriots bring to the table this year? So
2: that's a matchup I'm really interested to see in week one. Yeah, I think the Dolphins, like, they were very competitive in their last five games. And they beat the Patriots. And that was a huge stunner to the Patriots. That was one of those, as a Patriots fan, that's when, when they lost that game to the Dolphins. I was just like, and Fitzpatrick, Fitzmagic, like, had a game-winning touchdown against our vaunted defense I was like maybe this team just isn't as good as I think it is and that's where I that's where I saw a big chink in the armor there and lo and behold the Patriots lost in the first round you know so I uh it's just not sexy like I like I I I can I think it could be a good matchup and I, I don't know like The Dolphins versus the Patriots, of course, I think the Patriots are at home, so they're probably the favorite, but uh, that game could go either way now that the the AFC East is just, I don't want to say it's wide open, but it's like like, we, we don't know. Who's going to be the best team? So I guess that means it's wide open. Is that is that is that is that the definition for wide open? Spoken like a who Patriots fan who doesn't know what it's like to be in a wide open division.
1: Yes, that is the definition <laughs> of wide open. I, although there is one team that has no chance. I think J
2: E T S Jets Jets Jets. Uh, they're going nowhere. Oh, yeah. yeah, they aren't. Yeah, Sam Darnold, though, he showed some promise. He they, he was missing for most of the season last year, so I, I think they're they're expecting better things there with another year under Gase and him. So. Yeah,
1: who knows? You, yeah, it's true. They could be a surprise team, but it, it is the Jets after all, so I don't see it happening. Um, but it's something very interesting about Week One with that uh, Bucks, or sorry, Bucks Saints matchup is that Tom Brady has been the favorite in, I believe the number is, 74 consecutive regular season games. And the opening line so far for his Week 1 matchup against Drew Brees and the Saints is New Orleans, minus 6.5. And and I don't see it tilting far enough for Brady to extend that streak. So it sounds like, for the first time in a long time in the regular season, Tom Brady is not
2: going to be playing for the favorite. Well, that's interesting, uh, and I think we know why it's... Obviously, a new team, and it's not Brady and Belichick because, and that's what you left out there, and how uh, Brady was the favorite, whatever it was, seventy-four times. Seventy-four, I it believe it was. Yeah, seventy-four times. Well, it was Brady and Belichick that was that were the favorites, seventy-four times. Yeah, we're the other thing that.
1: the other thing too is, uh, I believe that game is at New Orleans, so you're playing at a. Strong Super Bowl contender with also another one of the greatest NFL QBs and I think even if let's say you know for fun let's say that Tom Brady resigns with the New England Patriots and they play week one at the New Orleans Saints after seeing the way they went out last year I think the Saints would be the favorite in that game might only be like one and a half or two and a half points but I think that uh, the streak would still end there. Does that seem like a big number to you? Six and a half? Six and a half does seem like a big number. You and I talk about this every year. The NFC South <laughs> is such a shit show. It's like so unpredictable which team is going to win. And now it's a little bit different because the Bucks might actually be good. But we always know not to bet against the Bucs when they're a heavy underdog against the team that should beat them handedly. Like they always seem to play the Saints tough. Uh, whoever the the team that isn't, playing well in that division always seems if it's a divisional game to come out on top. I mean, look at the, the Falcons last year, what were they like? Owen six or, or and seven or something like that. And then I think they, out, yeah. they beat the saints and then they beat the, the Panthers, something like that. I can't remember exactly how it went, but it's just that division is so unpredictable. So if I was betting right now, I would be taking uh, the bucks and the points.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. That's what an interesting, interesting division. Made even more interesting now with Brady and Gronkowski in it. Uh, uh, but that, yeah, you're right though. That New Orleans team—they're a juggernaut, obviously, at home with Drew Brees, with Sean Payton. Now Emmanuel Sanders is on the team too. Like it's, it's, it's a fun team to watch there. So that's that. I think that's I, that should be the Sunday night football game, not. The Dallas Cowboys at the LA Chargers I get it America's team in LA and I understand why they would want to make that for viewership is it at the Chargers
1: to... or at the Rams it must be at the Rams because it's the new stadium Stan Kroenke bought it or built it so it must be at the Rams Oh, it's, no oh,
2: sorry it is the Rams yeah I think. okay
1: uh,
2: why do I think it's the Chargers this looks like a Chargers logo. yes have you
1: have you not seen the Rams new logo yeah, yes it's a blatant right. ripoff of the Chargers
2: that's what it is. Okay, I got fooled by that blatant ripoff, and I was—I remember being one of the guys making fun of that. To yeah, it's Jersey, a so terrible,
1: terrible, terrible, terrible yeah. logo. Um, and so, so Rams, I, yeah, I have Rams. the backstory for why it's the Cowboys at the Rams. So obviously, Jerry Jones was a huge, huge proponent of allowing Cronky to move the team to Los Angeles and build the new stadium. He was like a big advocate and was heavily involved in in that move and this stadium being built uh because i believe other teams chipped in money or something like that the nfl got money from all the teams to to chip in to build the stadium um so jerry jones had a heavy hand in that and he wanted to be involved in the opening of the stadium and so that's why the cowboys are
2: at the rams in week one okay good good one i like that that's a that's a nice little backstory there because for us rams cowboys that's i mean for 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 the fans in the United States, maybe that's the matchup that most people want to see. But most football fans, I think, will want to see Tampa Bay and New Orleans. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I, I know
1: uh, I'll have Sunday Red Zone on. It's in the afternoon window, so there will only be a few games. I'll have second screen going probably on the, uh, I think the 49ers play at the same
2: time, don't they? So I'll, I'm going to have to find a third screen. Is that is that going to be when we kind of forget about the pandemic for a while, like so, like like the Michael Jordan documentary? Like we we can watch it, and we kind of forget that the world's going to shit outside, right? I think I feel like that'll be a moment when we're watching that game.
1: It, it'll definitely help, especially if if it if the season goes on as normal, and especially if there's fans, then we'll forget a little bit about it, uh, at least yeah. every Sunday for a while for seven hours of commercial-free football. <laughs>
2: um see <Easy> Scott Hanson <laughs> yeah.
1: Some other uh, NFL news That uh, has come out over the past week or so Andy Dalton uh, Released so obviously the Bengals uh, Selected Joe Burrow first Overall in the draft so they release Andy Dalton He made too much money to trade I suppose But the big surprise was I Am I crazy I think Andy Dalton is a pretty decent Quarterback and definitely one of the top 32 In the league and He didn't even try to find a starting job. He signed with the Cowboys to be a backup like in an instant. It was like two
2: days after he got released, he signed with the Cowboys. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, storyline because of where Dak Prescott is with his negotiations and everything that's going on in that Cowboys organization. Maybe Dalton knows a little something more than we know. Uh, I mean, he didn't. He's not getting a lot of money. He's getting backup money. Uh, by the way, we call Dalton, yeah, I, I, I can't remember, one of us was like, "This his time is over with, with Cincinnati, and Burrow's going to be the starter. So I just want to give worthlessly worthwhile credit there for, for calling that before it happened. Uh, but yeah, don't you think that, you know, the, there's something going on behind the scenes with Dak Prescott. Uh, Dallas, Jerry Jones has managed to get the money, open up the purse strings for everybody else in that organization. Except for Dak Prescott here, but of course Prescott wants so much money because he's a quarterback, and that's where the market is set. And they're not—they don't really want to give him that money. So I think having Dalton there is just—it's just it—it just, it adds more fuel to this fire, and it's interesting.
1: So I think this is a brilliant move by the Cowboys and Jerry Jones. Yes, I just said that. Uh, <laughs> I, it's not—not not something I say awful often. Uh, but the brilliance of it is is that, yes, Deck Prescott wants, in my opinion, way too much money. He's a very good quarterback, but he is not pay him the most money ever given to a quarterback kind of quarterback. He's not that good. He is playing behind one of the best offensive lines. He's lucky that he is on the Dallas Cowboys. Um, if he was drafted to a lot of other teams, he never would have seen the light of day. And if he, even if he did, I don't know that he would have made an impact. But he plays on uh, a good team with a good o-line a really good running back and yeah he's he's a good quarterback and it's allowed him to develop and i think he's gotten stronger as time has gone on but i would not give him 40 million dollars that's absolutely insane so the cowboys now have a really good backup plan they all of a sudden have leverage because if he wants to hold out i think the cowboys say go ahead you know Andy Dalton can take the reins of this team. He's good enough to win with this Cowboys team, in my opinion. And they signed him for so cheap that it's basically the same as signing any backup quarterback. So it's a really, really good move for the Cowboys. And if if Dak does hold out, all it does is open the door for someone else to take his job. And instead of accepting a $30 million a year deal... All of a sudden if you lose your job as a starting quarterback who knows what you're going to get offered if Andy Dalton performs well there i mean it's just it's a low risk high reward situation for the Cowboys and i also think it's actually a really smart deal for Dalton because it's a one-year deal and if he somehow does end up starting games for the Cowboys because Dak Prescott holds out and he performs well he's in for a huge payday and then he's on a great team with a good o-line and he's the one who could reap the benefits so I think it's a really shrewd move by both sides and the the big loser in this is Dak Prescott even though the Cowboys have come out and said uh that this is not a threat to Dak Prescott this is not a negotiating tactic give me a break this is it's everything Uh, of course even if it wasn't a negotiating tactic you'd want to bring this guy in but it's a brilliant negotiating tactic and they have all the
2: leverage now Yeah, I 100% agree that uh, it is a bit of a tactic here. And it's a smart tactic because uh, if Dak does hold out, clearly, like you said, they have a backup plan. And Dalton's proven he's not Brock Osweiler. He's proven that he can be a starting quarterback on a team. And Dak Prescott, no, he's not worth giving him the biggest contract of all time. If you're Dak Prescott, though, put yourself in his shoes right now. Are you holding out for that number or are you going to say, Okay, think about it from a football standpoint, not a marketing standpoint, not a not a uh bargaining standpoint, because his timing is perfect to get the biggest contract. That's just we've seen it. Every other quarterback has gotten these massive con Remember when Jay Cutler got that massive contract just because of the timing. Jared Goff uh, got it. Jared Goff got it exactly. So, if your car, if you are Dak Prescott and you see them sign a guy like Andy Dalton, and you want to stay a Dallas Cowboy, are you considering having a lower number, or are you just holding steadfast like I, he appears to be? If
1: if I'm Dak Prescott, I'm still there's still lots of time, and I'm negotiating as hard as I can, but I am not holding out. I'm reporting to training camp. I'm getting a deal done. So yeah, I'm going to try and get as much as I can. But $40 million I think, is way too excessive. I don't know if he believes he's worth that much or if his agent has convinced him of that. But he's not worth that much. But if he can get $35 million a year... I think that's a great deal for him so I understand why he hasn't signed a deal yet and we haven't seen him hold out but if it were to happen I think it would be a huge mistake and he could cost himself a ton of money and the other thing to keep in mind is that being the face of the Dallas Cowboys is worth a lot of money like it is worth a ton of money to be the face of the Dallas Cowboys to be the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys in marketing dollars if you're the quarterback of the Cincinnati Bengals ask Andy Dalton it's not worth very much (laughs) So, you know, you got to be smart. It's not just about what your contract in the NFL is when you're talking about money. It's also the situation you're in. And so if he takes a little bit less than what he's asking, it's still a lot of money. And it's still probably more than I think he's worth. You know, I see him maybe being a 32, 33 million dollar a year guy. But if he can get 35 or 36 good on him, but I would never give him 40 million dollars. And I
2: think he'd be absolutely crazy
1: to hold out for that.
2: Yeah, he's coming off like a career year though, so you can kinda like see his side of it. He's he's Cuba Gooding Jr. in um Jerry Maguire right now. That's what he is, you know? Is he betting on himself here? Is he you know, and he's got his wife talking to him in the side, you know, you need that but you need hold out, you need that money. Anyways, I, I, I just like to see it from both sides, right? And who, what would you do if you were in Dak Prescott's shoes? So I just think it's interesting.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't know. I I think uh, I think he'll get a deal done eventually, um, but we'll see. If he does hold out, it will be a huge huge story, especially with Dalton in there now. Um, moving on, Frank Gore, the inconvenient truth, still an NFL running back. He signed <laughs> with the New York Jets. Unbelievable that this guy just keeps trucking along. Most running backs, they are done by the their late twenties, early thirties. Uh, a lot has been said about don't. Don't ever pay a running back on his second contract. Here's Frank Gore just trucking along. Uh, he turns 37 years old one week from tonight. Um, this is absolutely crazy. Obviously, he's the backup running back to Le'Veon Bell. But um, Frank Gore is third time on the all-time rushing list. He's about 1,400 yards behind Walter Payton for second on the list. So he'd need at least two more years to pass him. And it might he might need more than that. So, I don't know if he's going to get it. And Emmett Smith is uh, miles away. He's 3,000 yards ahead of him. So, unlikely that he'll ever do that. But, what is your thoughts on Frank Gore as a Hall of Famer? Because even though he's third on the all time list, it seems to be a big debate because he's what people call a stat accumulator. He's played a long time. Therefore, he's been able to rack up a lot of total yards. But when you look at running backs and the history of running backs, as I mentioned, a lot of these guys. They, they can't last that long. The wear and tear of being an NFL running back is pretty tough. Like, you get beat up a lot. You take a lot of hits. And it's not just when you're running. You're blocking as a running back when, on the plays that you're not running the football. So it's a tough job. And the fact that he's able to be productive at the age he's done it at is, I think, remarkable and Hall of Fame worthy.
2: And and Rich, he... like. What what, did, what year is he in the NFL? Seventeenth year? Uh, he, I think two thousand
1: six, two thousand six ish. Two thousand five was like his first year in the NFL, I believe.
2: Okay, so thirteenth, thirteenth, fourteenth season. But we got to remember that this guy played four years at college too for Miami, mm-hmm. like, and he was a great like part of the U's great run there of teams, mm-hmm. right? And did you see the story today that his son Frank? Gore Sr. is a... I think he's like a, a sophomore or something at uh, at Southern Miss. We're three years away from both Frank Gore's being in the NFL. That That's how close we are here. Would you bet against the inconvenient truth at this point?
1: I don't, I don't think, know if I would. I don't think he'll make it three more years, but if anyone can do it, it's Frank Gore. And that's pretty crazy to think about that because he's a running back. This is a position where guys retire young and his son is in college as a running back. Like, it's just absolutely crazy. Um, but I think a lot gets lost, too, in how good he was at his peak because people talk, well, he's a stat accumulator. He's played a long time. He he had a really good run with the 49ers when he came into the league. How many 1,000-yard seasons do you think he had?
2: Oh. Uh, with his run with the 49ers, I, I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess eight. That's a very good guess. He
1: had nine 1,000-yard seasons. He had eight with the 49ers, and he had one more with Indianapolis. So 2005 was his first season. Then he went off for 1,000 yards four straight years, 2006 to 2009. 2010, he didn't do it. I think he was injured that year. And then 2011 to 2014, four more years straight. Uh, thousand yards. Then he went to Indy, and in 2016 he put up a thousand yards again. So nine a thousand yard seasons for a running back is a hell of an accomplishment.
2: Yeah, and to be a professional athlete, it's not easy to to go through those OTAs and everything that it takes to be a professional athlete. The consistency that he has, maybe he's not the he was never the greatest running back in the league when he was playing. Um, but his level of consistency over such a s- large period of time should get him in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. Yeah, excellent. It Good is. answer, Art. You're right. <laughs> I think we were having this conversation like like six or seven years ago, Rich. <laughs> we definitely were. Famer. Everyone's <laughs> been
1: talking. There was like five years ago when he went to Indy, the conversation was, yeah, well, he's just accumulated a lot of yards. <laughs> he's not a Hall of Famer just because he's done that, and now five years later... He's his peak was back then, and now it's like, yeah, yeah, he's a hall of famer. So, I, I think he was always a hall of famer uh, after he left San Francisco, but now it's just a slam dunk. He's he's a freak, he's an absolute yeah. freak to be able to do it at this age. Um, and something that I found interesting is that he has a 4.3 yard per carry career average pretty damn good for a guy who's done what is it, 15 NFL seasons already.
2: Yeah, that's a that's a really good average yard per carry average. Um, I don't know what the highest yards per carry in the NFL last year but I think it was just over six maybe like 6.1 which was like it it, it that's that's amazing but to be able to do that over a long career is impossible so uh, it, you' know anything over four is a really good number now we're
1: we're a couple years removed a couple years couple weeks removed from the NFL draft art um and I think something that, I've started thinking about that's very interesting about this year's draft is that there was a lot of offensive players drafted in the first round and early in the second round. So I want to get your thoughts on who your pick is for NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year. Obviously, you've got Joe Burrow as the first overall pick. You got Tua, uh, Justin Herbert as early first-round quarterbacks. Quarterbacks always get a lot of love, but I think there's a lot of options because you got that
2: wide receiver class as well. Who are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's going to be a wide receiver. I think there's one of these guys is going to be like Odell Beckham Jr. You know, like take the take the league on fire. You know, like and I uh, I just kind of get the feeling it might be uh, between two guys, and maybe both guys would be huge too. Uh, Jerry Judy uh, in Denver, and I also think that the guy that went to the Cowboys, the other the the Oklahoma Sooners, CD Lamb, yeah, yeah. I think there's something there's. I can kind of with wide receivers, you can get this sense of like diva, the sense of stardom. To you can like you can feel it, and I felt like we could we felt it from CD Lamb. You know, the, we had that whole we had that whole scene where he got drafted and he slapping the phone away from his from his girlfriend. I I I, I think. If I'm going to take one play, I'm going to go CD Lamb. I just have a feeling. That's just gut instinct. And I think he fits in really well there uh, in Dallas. And whoever would be throwing the ball, whether it's Dalton or whether it's Prescott. And a guy I think is a little bit under the radar, which I'll throw out there as well. The guy uh, who got drafted by the Minnesota Vikings. Jefferson?
1: Justin Jefferson. Yeah, I think if yeah. I was taking a wide receiver, I might I might like Justin Jefferson playing opposite uh, AJ Thiel in there and stepping in for Stefan Diggs in a very good offense and a very good throwing offense. Um, I know people think they're kind of a run heavy team, but they've always favored their top two wide receivers. And I think Justin Jefferson is going to slide in there. There's not a lot of yards for anyone behind their top two guys, but Jefferson could have a big season, but I don't think a wide receiver is is going to win it. And uh, I find that wide receivers tend to have their big breakout year in their sophomore seasons. And I don't know if it's just trying to learn the playbook. It takes them some time to adjust. Like a lot of times you see, uh, the rookie wide receivers kind of turn it on a little bit later in the year. And then their sophomore season is when they, they really break out. Um, but I also don't know that it's going to be a quarterback because Joe Burrow is not playing for a a great team with a good offensive line. I don't think he's in a good situation and he, it's not like he's a running quarterback, Uh, Like that's the difference with him and Kyler Murray last year going to Arizona and and Murray did win it, I believe. Um, Kyler Murray is so fast and has a ton of escapability. So even he wasn't playing for the greatest offensive line, he made things happen. Burrow is more of a true pocket passer and he can move around the pocket, but he's probably not going to be scrambling and running all over the place to, to kind of throw the defense off. So you need a pretty decent offensive line and I don't think the Bengals have it. Tua, you've got the injury concerns. I don't even know if he's going to be ready for week one because of that. And Justin Herbert, I don't know that he's going to be starting week one either. So the guy that I actually like, I think it's going to be a running back that wins uh, offensive rookie of the year. My my pick would be Clyde Edwards-Alaire, uh, also out of LSU, picked by the Kansas City Chiefs mm, in, with the last pick be- of the first round. He's a great fit for that offense. Andy Reid is an offensive genius and will find a way to use him in a very smart way. But the, the other guy that I think is a total dark horse is Jonathan Taylor, the running back that got drafted by the Colts in the second round because that's a good situation to go into as well. Really good offensive line for the Colts. And the opportunity to be kind of the workhorse there, it's, it's out there for Taylor to take. So I like, uh, I like either Clyde Edwards-Alaire or Jonathan Taylor for Offensive Rookie of the Year.
2: How dare you go against Marlon Mack? The Mack. Attack. <laughs> I I like Marlon Mack, but a lot of people think Taylor is going to take over that job. <laughs> uh, just looking at the past rookie of the years, last year it was Kyler Murray. The year before it was Saquon Barkley. Uh, the year before that, uh, I think it was oh, yeah, it was Alvin Kamara. And the year before that was Dak Prescott. So yeah, no wide receivers there. I think wide receivers are due. A wide receiver is a due for rookie of the year. I'm going C.D. Lamb. Maybe. I will.
1: I will. Uh, we gotta have a bet here, Art. I think we should put put a six pack of beer on the line. Yes. You've got wide receivers. I've got running backs. Quarterback is a wash. Anyone else? I don't even know how it happened.
2: Boom! Six pack of uh, Hoing Pilsner. How about
1: that? <laughs> Done. You're on. Yeah. Okay, Art. So I'm um, really excited because we're we're only a few weeks away from live sports. Yes, I'm talking about the match. Tiger Woods and Peyton Manning versus Tom Brady and Phil Mickelson in a charity golf event. This is what I've been waiting for. I'm so excited for the match. And I don't know if you caught this, but this is is what's happening with sports right now. They have so much time to fill that they were able to find a way to... I, I don't know how long this show was, but TNT had Ernie Johnson with the four of those guys on just over zoom, like talking about the match somehow. And, uh, Peyton Manning is the funniest guy I, that's ever played sports. I think this guy could be a stand-up comedian or like the roast master. He could be right up there with Jeff Ross. Uh, he had some great comments about Tom Brady, obviously, and Tom was loving it. Uh, so I want to play some of the clip that I, that I heard Tom Brady actually tweeted this out. Um, so this is uh, Peyton Manning talking about why they have to hold the event in, in Florida.
0: Ernie, the course, you know, the tournament had to be in Florida. You know, after Tom's B E and e arrest, uh, you know, with the open monitor, he couldn't leave the state. Uh, so it had to be in Florida. Uh, Tiger and I talked to the sheriff in Tampa. He's going to be allowed to go to Palm Beach to play.
1: <laughs> Peyton just slides it in there, the breaking enter when Tom Brady walked into the wrong house. Oh, that guy's so you, funny,
2: dude! You and if you a little bit later on in that quote, but he has another one where like we're really we were really hoping that we'd get Tom uh, and a territory that wasn't where he wasn't the good guy. Like you know maybe Indianapolis, uh, maybe is, uh, Boston. Here,
1: is this the one?
0: <laughs> I'll be honest. I've never played Tom very well on his home turf, and so maybe this is considered a neutral site and i would have loved to have had this tournament in a place where they don't like tom very much indianapolis denver boston <laughs> you know, after he just betrayed them and broke their hearts so fall beach is the best we can probably do
1: tom is like killing himself laughing when when peyton brings this up but i don't know if it's like the nervous, like, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to make it look like I'm laughing hysterically. Or is he actually like, don't don't talk about me leaving Boston. I'm not sure, but oh, he was man. cracking I think, up.
2: I, I think that moment when he was a little bit nervous, but I, I think Tom, and I, I know this as a huge Brady, you know, mark out, a huge Brady fan, that Brady has a great sense of humor, but he's awkward in his delivery when he's trying to be funny. Whereas... Peyton Manning has a great sense of humor, but also has the best delivery ever. So he's like he's kind of like Magic Johnson in that way, right? Magic Johnson. I feel like Magic Johnson and Peyton Manning and Charles Barkley. You could have a comedy roast. Like those three guys would be amazing. Uh, but uh, let's let's go back to the match. Like like okay, so it's Brady and Mickelson versus Tiger and Peyton and they're playing like best ball or what what are they doing exactly
1: so it's a it's an 18 hole tournament and the first the first nine holes is modified four ball i think and then uh the second nine is like alternate shot or something like that they're they're splitting up the nines into something different but it is it's supposed to raise a bunch of money for covid uh, charities, and I think it's obviously a great cause. It's going to be entertaining. I assume they're going to be mic'd up, uh, and I am. If there's like a way to subscribe to just the Peyton Manning feed, I'm all over it because this guy is hilarious. <laughs> He's Don Rickles if he could win Super Bowls, um, <laughs> you know. But who
2: are you taking? Who are you taking in this match?
1: So I think right now, I think Tiger is probably on top of his game more than Phil is, and. I really don't know who the better golfer is, but I have a feeling it's Tom. I have a feeling Tom think, is the yeah. better golfer. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I th- I think I'm going to take, I think I'm going to take Tiger and uh and Peyton though. Just I think Tiger's got the fire in him after losing to Phil in their big match uh, made for TV event. Mm. And Phil even uh, Phil was trying to be as funny as Peyton Manning. I, I saw a clip of it because I don't know how long this show was, but I saw a clip and and Phil, like his delivery was pretty terrible as well. And he's like, oh, you know, the, this is the trophy from the big match. And Tiger, you probably don't know what it looks like because you didn't win it. I, I won it. And then and then Tiger is like, oh, I, I just got out of an ice bath. So let me warm up. And he puts a green jacket over himself. But it, it wasn't like delivered well at all. It was super awkward. Uh, None of these guys have the comedic timing of a Peyton Manning. I got to play one more from the Peyton Manning uh, little clip there. This was actually, I think, my favorite part.
0: I think the teams are fair. I think, uh, you know, Phil chose the right partner and Tom together. You know, they have 11 championships. Tiger and I have 17, the way I count it, right, Tiger?
1: (laughs) Peyton just – you know, taking Tiger's fifteen to add to his two, whereas Tom obviously has six. I love the like <laughs> self-deprecating, but in a way that it doesn't feel self-deprecating, right? Like he's just so good. I think I That's think cool. I would take Tiger and Peyton
2: in this match, though. Yeah. Um. Well, I'll, I'll have, I'm obviously gonna go Brady and Nicholson, I guess. So maybe, I was we'll... I was
1: interested because you're a huge Tiger guy and a huge yeah. Tom guy because, as we know, you're a big front runner. So. <laughs> I was I was interested to see if you were going to take the Tiger side or the Tom
2: side. I'm going to take Tom's side right now, just because I feel like uh, Tom's got something to prove in the world of golf. Whereas I'm not sure, not so sure Tiger's got anything left to prove in the world of golf. Uh, You know? Okay, so base and this isn't really this is kind of unrelated to the whole that that whole conversation that those guys are having. But if you haven't seen it yet, it's one of the best thing that that has come out uh, during this pandemic, I think, and the social distancing, but it's the greatest zoom chat of all time that I've ever seen. It was hosted by Rich Eisen. And I think it was part of the NFL network, but it was Rich Eisen and they had uh, Kevin Hart. And then just a bunch of NFL stars joining Joe Buck joined as well. And it was like Travis Kelsey joined Russell Wilson joined and, it was it, it was amazing. If you haven't seen it, it's like an hour long. And these guys are just like Travis Kelsey and 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 uh, Tom Brady were like going at it. It was really funny. Like it's it's one of the best things that I've seen. Uh, you can Google or YouTube it, I think. And it, it's uh, it's the best. I don't know what they call it, but the best the best Zoom chat of all time. And this it's kind of in that vein.
1: This is what our life has become. We we're talking yeah. about how entertaining a Zoom chat was. So sad. Totally. Please get us live sports back. Please find a way.
2: And uh, when you said, when you said, uh, "Oh, this is what we've all been waiting for—the live sports." I thought you were going to be mentioning Korean, uh, Korean baseball. Oh god, no, were- I can't.
1: I can't do it, Art. I can't do it. <laughs> ESPN is playing these Korean baseball games at 1 a.m. or so because that's what time they're playing here. I just, I can't get into it. I'd rather watch the classic sports because at least, like, I have some sort of emotional reaction to it. I enjoy watching these old ones. I can't get into a Korean baseball game. And maybe, maybe if, like, the pandemic didn't exist there and they had all the fans and I could at least, like, feel the atmosphere of a crowd, but I am not going to tune in at 1 a.m. to watch Korean baseball in an empty stadium. I'm just not going to do it.
2: Oh, Rich, ever ever the pessimist yeah. i'm gonna check it out i'm gonna check it out give me some baseball hey,
1: who are you cheering for
2: um there's this team in south 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 korea i can't remember the name. yeah what's of it, the city really... called <laughs> um it's uh, south of seoul i, I, I was about to say i'd say seoul but they probably got like six
1: teams playing out of seoul yeah i'm really i'm really searching digging deep for that name no yeah. uh What else we got? Oh, um, this is interesting. So I learned something new uh, searching through Twitter the other day. Chubba Hubbard, who had the the running back at OK State, Oklahoma State, had a huge season. He was the Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year. Uh, He finished eighth in the Heisman Trophy voting. He's a Canadian. He won the John Cornish Trophy as top Canadian in NCAA football, which begs the question, John Cornish has a trophy named after him.
2: I didn't know that. Did you know that John Cornish had a trophy named after him? No, it got me thinking to like, who are the best Canadian football players of all time? Is it John Cornish? Is it John Cornish? No, it's Doug Flutie, right? Well, Doug Flutie's not Canadian. Yeah, he's not Canadian though. He played in Canada. Yeah, I get that mixed up sometimes. Best CFL player and best Canadian player of all time.
1: Um, But I I have a a John Cornish story actually. It kind of like jogged my memory. When I was, uh, I think like 19 or 20 years old, I went to a nightclub in New Westminster for Halloween and I dressed as Ali G. And (laughs) gotta say, pulled it off amazingly. It was like the perfect costume, best costume I've ever had. And I won the costume contest at the club. And so the prize was that uh, I won like a VIP party. So they would send a limo to my house to pick us up or to wherever we were to pick us up. And then we'd get a private booth at the club and and bottle service. So, uh, you know, a few months later, I took advantage, had the party. And we were in the private booth and in the booth next to us, we see the Grey Cup. And we're like, what the hell is this? The Grey Cup is here. And so we went over and talked to the guys and it was John Cornish. He, he, at the time, was uh, like the backup running back for the Stampeders. I think he had like four carries that year for the Stampeders. But nonetheless, he got his day with the Grey Cup. And so he let us drink out of the Grey Cup. All of us took pictures drinking beer out of the Grey Cup and, uh, you know, kissing the Grey Cup and everything. So, yeah, I drank out of the Grey Cup thanks to John Cornish.
2: That's a great story,
1: John Cornish, who turned out to be a really really good running back in
2: in calgary
1: that was kind of the funny part because you know he told us his name and we had never heard of him and obviously like later uh later that week or whatever you know you go home and you google this john cornish and you're like ah this hack has like four career carries and he goes on to become like one of the greatest canadian running backs in cfl history i'm like oh i know that guy
2: (laughs) Did he win an MVP? If he didn't, he got close. He was I, at least, you know, best offensive player, I think. He, well,
1: yeah, he year. won best Canadian a lot, uh, but I think he won an MVP award as well. He had he had one yeah. season that was just unbelievable. Um, yeah. not that I'm a CFL historian, but I do remember him having some pretty good years there, and I think injuries kind of cut his career short. But again, he he was a running back, so. Uh, but I guess he must have had a pretty good NCAA career to have have an award named after him. Going back to Chubba Hubbard, though, um, his season last year, he had uh, over 2,000 rushing yards. And it's the second best single season total in school history. The only player uh, in OK State history with a better uh, running back season was Barry Sanders in 1988 when he won the Heisman. So pretty pretty good company to be
2: in. (laughs) Yeah, Barry Sanders is like, you know, top Five, top three running back of all time i like that yeah good for you Charlotte. robert i like it okay art right,
1: we got to move on we're we're about to run out of time and we got a couple of quick things that we got to touch on before we end this thing first of all you are in the market for a cat what is the story
2: oh my god i watched tiger king and i just like all those little kitties kitties i wanted a kitty no that wasn't the reason i i don't know it's uh it's interesting during this pandemic and you're by yourself all the time. And I just, I, I, I have a small condo here and it's just, I, I just felt like maybe it's time to get a little companionship and maybe a little, a little COVID kitty, you know, maybe I'll name it COVID. I don't know. <laughs> it's a terrible name for a cat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just, uh, they're low maintenance, right? And uh, it's just a little, little furball. Why not? If you're going if you're going to name your cat after COVID,
1: you got to name it like Big Rona or something like that. Big Rona. Yeah, that's good. See, getting a yeah. cat is a risk though. I've already I've already told this to you, but I got to bring it up again. I I like a good cat that uh enjoys the company of a human, but a cat is a risk because you don't know what you're going to get. A dog all all dogs are just like obsessed with their owners. Uh, maybe there's small percentage of dogs that aren't interested. But cats, I don't know, it feels like it's 50-50. You, you get a cat that either wants to hang out with you and, you know, provides that companionship, but you might get a cat that just doesn't want to be anywhere near you, and then you're stuck with the expense of a cat, but you don't get the benefit of the companionship. Are, are cats really expensive? That's the question. Well, you got to buy it's, food. Uh, yeah. I don't know what else you got to do, but you got to take it to the vet if it gets <laughs> sick or something like that. Like, you know... Yeah. Pets can be expensive.
2: Yeah, okay. I, I get you there. Uh. I And this is like full disclosure. I am more of a dog person. I'd love to have a dog, but my strata doesn't allow me to have a dog. So I'm in trouble. I got to make a decision here. I don't know. Like uh, take the risk with the cat, like you said, or go with nobody. I don't know.
1: Well, we look it's... forward to the conclusion of did Art get a cat.
2: <laughs> I know we're all just riveted by it. Riveted.
1: Yeah, and lastly, art. I had to do it. I took the plunge last weekend, and I binged Too Hot to Handle on your advice. I was not going to do it. I wanted to hold off, but you know what? (laughs) Friday night last weekend, I was playing uh, some virtual poker. You know, my my friends and I have got this poker club on Poker Stars that we've been playing on uh, occasionally through through the pandemic. So I had a poker game going, and I thought, you know, I feel like just throwing something on TV to watch in between. When I'm not playing a hand So uh, put on episode 1 of Too Hot to Handle Watch the first 6 episodes that night And then finish the final 2 A couple nights later First thought is This Francesca from Vancouver is a total train wreck I (laughs) give her and Harry uh, The Australian bloke uh, Because that's what they say there Um, I give them like a 2% chance Of actually working out Because they're, you know, not to ruin it But they're like You know, oh, we're gonna, I'm gonna move to Vancouver. That's not happening. I'm sorry. These two are, they have no chance of being together.
2: How, like, it's a trashy, trashy show. You even texted me, like, four episodes, or two episodes in, or whatever you were, and you were like, this is about as trashy as it gets when it comes to TV. Uh, But you know what it does? It served for me at a time that was very tumultuous for all of us in the world. It was just a great distraction. And The setting that they're in is gorgeous, and these really dumb people, let's be honest, they're not smart people. It's it's just entertaining to see them trying to have conversations with each other when they really don't have anything, anything, any substance to say other than, wow, you look great, you know? That's all they got. But I was,
1: you're right, I did text you probably a couple episodes in, I said, this is the trashiest show ever, and... To, to your point, too, I, I enjoy some trashy TV because you're right. It's a good distraction. Sometimes you just want to watch something that you don't have to think. Like, you can just turn off the brain and watch it and judge people and enjoy it. And that's what this show is about. You know, <laughs> I've watched Bachelor in Paradise and stuff like that. Like, I don't, I don't mind these shows. And this, this one is the one that I was like, this is such trash. But then, you know it surprised me it turned into a show about personal growth all of a sudden and they're giving them workshops and they're talking about how they're going to go back to their normal lives and be completely different and tell their friends about what they've learned and i'm like what the hell am i watching i didn't expect (laughs) this at all i thought it was going to be eight episodes of straight
2: trash don't you feel like it almost took like a religious turn a little bit like the chastity belt and like I don't know. It did, there was, yeah, there was the self-improvement thing. I And I don't know if I liked that because I was, I was totally in on the trash, but I get it. If they're going to be there for so long that, you know, there had to be some sort of twist in this show. So I don't know. I'm still like, I don't know if I'm ever going to watch it again, but when I think back, I'm still half on one side, wishing it was just trashy all the way through half on the, Oh, well, good for them. They're trying to be better people. I don't know where you stand on that.
1: I, I don't think they can have a second season of, of this just because the <laughs> whole premise is that the people coming in had no idea what was happening. It'd be very yeah. difficult to cast for that, uh, especially because the money at the end, they didn't know how it would be split up. It turned out they gave it to everyone who they didn't kick off the show for not self-improving themselves. So, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't would think you, they wait, can wait, have when
2: What do you think about them? Like, everybody... Oh, I guess... Like, I don't know if we're are we in spoiler territory? Oh here? come on, if you're if you're listening this far, you
1: it's this is too hot to handle. You can't spoil this show. <laughs> this is not breaking bad.
2: Like So the the fact that they all got money at the end, were you were you cool with that? Or did you, did you think that Francesca was such for a lack of a better word, ho, that she that she, she didn't deserve to get any money at the
1: end? Yeah, who cares? They give them all money. That's fine. I don't care. <laughs> Not my money.
2: <laughs> Rick doesn't care. I don't know. I was just like, I, I don't like. Wow, she spent one night without taking, you know, taking her clothes off. Like, and she gets she gets money. I I don't know. I I was a little upset about that. And I wish some other characters. There was this one girl from Ireland who was really cute, and she, I don't know, maybe she just didn't do anything during the entire. Week and at two weeks they were there or whatever to get on screen, but she got no screen time. I can't yeah. remember what her name was. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember what her name was. There, but she, I, I was just like, why are some people getting more screen time than others? She clearly had an impact on you, the nameless
1: Irish girl who Art adores. <laughs> Thank you for pointing that out. No, problem. but uh,
2: are you going to watch uh, Love Is Blind? That's the other one I'm looking at right now. So that's distraction.
1: that's what I was going to bring up. So. Netflix all of a sudden diving into the uh, the dating show pool or whatever you want to call it. So Love is Blind was the first one. And I thought that seemed pretty crazy as well because it's, a I guess, a show where they have to, I, I don't know how it works. They talk to each other, but they don't see each other or something like that. And they have to commit to each other at the end of the show. Or I, I don't know exactly, but they don't get to see each other until the very end. And that sounds pretty trashy too, but too hot to handle is probably the trashier concept in my mind. And I watched that. So now I'm thinking like next time I got a poker game going, love is blind is going right onto the TV and I'm going to watch this thing. How
2: about the, uh, the conspiracy theories people are throwing out there, Netflix getting all these great things that people are watching during this pandemic. Some of them like love is blind too hot to handle a lot of them you know, promote social distancing, you know? Do they? Well, kind of. I guess Love is Blind. They don't, they're not, they're not anywhere near each other. Yeah,
1: but they. They I guess so. I don't know about a conspiracy theory. I mean, they must have filmed this stuff a long time ago to produce the entire show and have it come out in a week (laughs) into the pandemic because that's when Love is Blind came out, so...
2: I don't know all right i'm just throwing this out here rich i just said i've been i've been seeing this out there because netflix and other streaming services have been uh some of those companies that have really benefited from the pandemic everybody's sitting at home watching trashy tv and thinking it's the greatest thing ever like we are right now I, uh, my boss had a great tweet he threw out there he's like. There's something about this pandemic. Everything we see during this pandemic is the greatest thing we've ever seen, right? (laughs) Too Hot to Handle, the Jordan documentary, uh, Tiger King. (laughs) Some guys we've heard of talking on Zoom. Yeah, that's right. Some guys we heard of talking on Zoom. Exactly. This match will probably be one of the most amazing things we've ever seen, too, just because there's nothing else on TV. Uh, But anyways, yeah, back to uh, Love is Blind. I I think that might be my next trashy show I'm going with uh, it's see or that, or I was uh, the new master chef season. I think is on Craig master chef 10. I don't
1: know if that's considered trashy TV. I mean, I'm watching top chef U S and top chef Canada right now. Great shows. Uh, I don't know what the hell these things are. They keep talking about like this dish has this and this and this. I've never even heard of the ingredients or whatever it is that they're talking about, but I'm still interested. So it's good
2: television. All right. All right. All right. I'm, ha- I'm happy that we could have these moments to talk about the trashy TV we're watching.
1: That's what Worthlessly Worthwhile is all about. We go from Michael Jordan documentary to dating shows on Netflix
2: and all- everything in between. Yeah, I know. We like talked about the political correctness of Muhammad Ali to... Should Francesco have won money in too hot to handle
1: <laughs> And with that, we've we're in the books we've run out of time another episode of worthlessly worthwhile. I hope you enjoyed it and we will be back next week to break down episodes seven and eight of the last dance. and who knows maybe we'll talk about love is blind. Art <laughs> so. Thank you for your time.
2: Thanks Rich. This has been worthlessly worthwhile.